Welcome to Business Book Talk, the best place to discover great business books. Bob Garlick has talked to over 400 authors, and his questions and comments always get you the best information about the book, the author, and the ideas behind each book. So let's see who Bob's talking to this week. Hey everybody, it's Bob again. I've got Charlie Pownall with me today. Managing online reputation, how to protect your company on social media, and oh my gosh, that is a hot topic ever since social media blew up about five years ago, and, and, and really, it, it's a super, super important topic. Let's talk a little bit about your background because you've got some amazing experience in some of the stuff you've been doing in social and also in, in PR, and um, can I use the word spin? I'd rather you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think the spin has got a bad name for itself? I, 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 yeah, I think it, it, it probably has. I mean... <sighs> has it ever had a good name? Maybe put it that way. <laughs> I, I think the trouble is, you know, you do see it around and it's an easy kind of phrase to latch onto, isn't it? Um, but I mean... <sighs> You know, I mean, fundamentally, as PR advisors or as communications advisors, we're in the business of trying to, um, uh, you know, get the truth out there often. Um, and, um, you know, I think this is actually particularly true of the current environment in which we're all living, where, you know, we're living in an era of much greater transparency uh, and accountability fundamentally. Um, and, uh, so you, you know, it's, it's, it's really about often as, uh, oftentimes trying to get the truth out there as quickly as possible. Um, and, um, uh, and going from there and, you know, that, that, um, that, you know, one of the, I would say one of the, one of the, uh, the, the great challenges that, uh, PR people face and uh, not just PR people, but also, uh, lawyers and other types of people is, um, is, is persuading management that this is in their best interest. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between how PR and online management is managed in Europe compared to North America and then also compared to Asia because do you think it all three locations have a fundamentally different approach because of the different cultures? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I, 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 can, I, I can't really speak so much for North America, honestly. Uh, most of my work has been in Europe and in Asia, um, and, and to a certain extent, the, the Middle East as well. Um, but what I would so maybe it's better uh, you know I've reframed that as kind of east versus west. Yeah. Okay. Much better. <laughs> um, and um, uh, you know I think what I would say is that you know a lot of the well maybe there are two ways of looking at it. One is the kind of external environment. You know what's happening out there that um, is going to cause trouble uh, online or even elsewhere. And I think. You know, in the West, um, there is, uh, you know, I think greater calls for uh, accountability. Uh, people are kind of smarter to uh, uh, some of the things that companies are saying and doing. Um, and, uh, you know, the there is a much more established um, uh, set of, you know, activists, NGOs, other types, you know, who are out there kind of, constantly looking, watching what's going on and trying to call people to account, uh, you know, versus Asia where that kind of, where civil society, you might say, is rather less established. Now, that's that's changing. 
uh, and um, uh, and we are beginning to see, you know, a much more mature approach to uh, to to holding organisations, you know, governments, companies to to account. Uh, that's that's that is that is coming on leaps and bounds now in in Asia. It's one of the ways that uh, things are really changing. I think also on the external environment. Um, you know, one of the things that I've seen a lot of is, um, is, uh, and this is due in part to the ease with which it, it, you are able to be anonymous online. Uh, you know, if you, if you think about social media in the West, you've got Twitter and Facebook and all these things, and they kind of, they, they, they hinge on uh, so-called sort of real name rep, uh, reputation system. So when you sign up to these systems, you, you kind of, you can be a pseudonymous on it. Uh, but you cannot be anonymous, and therefore it's generally easier to find out who's doing what online. Okay, whereas uh, you know in Asia there's a lot of anonymity, and you know this is something that uh, governments out there are really struggling with. So I think on the external environment, those would be a couple of things I'd highlight. Uh, I think internally, you know, I, I think you know Western big Western companies, uh, Western governments as well are better equipped, frankly, to to get to tackle this stuff. Uh, both from a kind of policy perspective, but also just in terms of how you handle certain types of situations as and when they arrive. Um, I think, uh, you know, conversely in Asia, I think, you know, it's a different kind of environment. And Bob, you, I know you spent time in Asia, so this is something you probably be familiar with. But, you know, there tends to be a shorter term approach to business um, and to certainly to reputation. Um, and uh, so you kind of, it's about market share, it's about um, getting sales, um, and, you know, you do that in whatever way you can. Uh, and uh, so this, um, you know, th and that's, where the, that's where management focus is, wh whether you like it or not. Um, and uh, so they tend not to have the kind of sophisticated internal decision-making processes um, whereby you know you can assess something quickly and effectively hopefully and then respond appropriately uh and that that's that's the problem um and uh, you know in this day and age you've got to be able to really you know move at the at the flick of a coin um and uh and i i just think in in certainly parts of asia um organizations are just less well equipped to do so Hmm. Yeah, well, it, it's it's definitely a, a, a top-down hierarchy, and it's been like that way for 5,000 years, and they're not going to change overnight. Um, but I think what's happening now, like you said, is because so many uh, international organizations are based either in Hong Kong or Singapore or, or whatever, you've got you know um, regional head offices there, and they've been around for a long time. It just not didn't happen last week. It's It's... You know, back in the 1800s, uh, Shanghai was considered the Paris of Asia. There was a lot of decisions being made there. And because of that, there was some war started, the introduction of opium, all sorts of stuff happened there. Now, these days, it's different, but it's kind of the same. And I think because of profitability and globalization, that is slow to being um, worn away and eradicated. So... I'm very curious to, for you know because you know the book is about reputation management online online reputation that's the ultimate globalization of your statement where where I can sit here in Vancouver and do a blog post and send it out and 300,000 people see it that is quite influential right because it's not just um the 300,000 people in that 300,000 people there's probably 20 
super connecting people, which brings the potential for 25 million people to become aware of the statements that I've made. And I'm not a big fish in the social media realm. How does one manage uh, the potential for, uh, for blowout because the average person that complains to the company um, back in the day, it would be, oh, hi, I'm calling from the, the New York Times. Definitely, you're going to be t spending a lot of time and attention and probably money to make sure that that person has a good experience. But these days, anybody can get the same type of attention and, and have this ripple effect through social media. So how does a company allocate resources as a, a monetary resources or time resources to manage something uh, of, of of this uh, devastating uh, effectiveness. I mean, it, it, it's hearsay gone wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big problem. Um, and I mean, what, I, I think, you know, if I was to uh, sort of burn, boil that down to one thing. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, it, it, it would be, it, you know, it, I think it's about listening uh, and understanding the the environment and the context in which you are operating, uh, understanding, you know, the ecosystem that uh, you are part of out there, uh, you know, what people are looking for, what their needs and their requirements are, you know, what they like and dislike, uh, and kind of going from there. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, in this, I think it's particularly true of the kind of social media side, you know, which is obviously conversationally driven. Um, where um, uh, you you really got to get your head around you know a, a, around that landscape um, and resource you know and so that's really the kind of focus of your system is is a really good listening resource uh, or system um, and uh, and then you know you're in a much better position frankly to make the calls about how you respond uh, but I think also you know. You, Maybe I'll just have one more thing to this. I think you do have to respond. Um, I think there's a tip. Well, let's, uh, let me come on this in a slightly different way. I think you know, as a you know, I'm a PR sort of communications guy. My my approach generally is to respond using PR uh, comms, you know, that kind of approach. Whereas you know, there are all sorts of other issues that um, that can um, uh, come into play. You know, there can be legal issues and uh, and other types of issues. So you've got to actually what you need to do here is you need to be both listening and responding in a kind of integrated fashion. And I think that's become much more important, um, you know, since the advent of, of social media. Hmm. Do, you, do, you, do you think that the, the proportion of listening should be like 50-50 or should be like 80% listening, 20% talking? I, I think that depends on the kinds of threats you're up against. Um, but I mean, generally I would say, I mean, I wouldn't put a per exact percentage on that, but I would say, you know, you, you should be, you know, sh listening should be the real priority here. Um, and, and, and then, you know, not rushing into stuff. Um, but actually thinking a little bit about what it is here that you're having to deal with. Um, before, you know, before responding. Now, that said, you, you don't want to respond too fast, or, you know, or you don't want to respond at all. Sometimes you don't want to respond at all. Um, but, uh, it, you know, the list, I, I think in terms of time, you know, the, what is underestimated here is the assessment. 
um, and thinking through the issue, you know, the implications, both your business, uh, but also uh, for your reputation, your longer term reputation and kind of going from there. And, you know, you do, you may well need inputs from different parts of the organization. You, need, you know, you may well need uh, an expert to come in, you know, a topic expert who really understands the issue that's being talked about. Uh, it may be that you do need legal input. Uh, maybe you need uh, somebody around, you know, who is really skilled at the kind of online environment um, and understands, you know, the different complaint procedures through Twitter and so on and so forth and all, and all of that. And from there, you kind of, you know, you get alignment between all those different factors. And that's the tricky bit. Well, do you think that that um, approach um is underfunded. I mean, like, there's organizations that don't even know that approach exists, hence the importance of this book. But the the thing is, is that they kind of read the book and they go, oh, okay, great, let's do these things, but then grossly underfunded or put the wrong people in um, the decision-making seats. Yeah, I think, I, I, I definitely think that's that's an issue. And, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of um, kind of um, so-called social media meltdowns or fails or whatever you want to call them. Uh, that have come as a result of, I think, you know, under-resourcing or having just the wrong resource there. You know, it's young people, interns, kind of junior staff who are kind of at the front lines and they don't understand the issues. You know, this is and and they and they, you know, there's no reason why they should understand the issues. Um, you know, if you're if you're you're out there and you're you're managing a Facebook page uh, and it's really predominantly for product marketing, and then somebody is talking about kind of pollution or, you know, uh, poor pay or compensation or whatever it is, you know, what do you do? Uh, it's tricky. So having the the right kind of escalation procedures in place, you know, what what a uh, you know what I would think of as governance is absolutely critical. Um, so that's having like a spine in within the organization where you can filter stuff quickly up to the appropriate people uh, and get that response. Yeah, and I think it's 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 partly a resource issue and I think it's partly a sort of system issue. Well, you know, the, the book's broken down into to three sections, understanding the threat, managing incidents, um, and then handling crises. Um do you feel that it's a book that, that people have to read from the, the beginning all the way through to really get it? Or can they just jump to, you know what, I just want to read about handling crisis? You can jump in. Um, and, uh, and in fact, you know, quite a lot of the feedback to the book has been that, that you know, people really like the fact that they can kind of browse around. Um, and, and, you know, there are quite a few case studies in there. So, um, so they really like that. You can sit on the loo and <laughs> you know, read one of those yep. and hopefully you'll get some, uh, some good tips. Um, but I think if you are looking at this in a more systematic manner, um, then actually reading it from cover to cover is probably not a bad idea. Um, I mean, the book is is subtitled um, How to Protect Your Company on Social Media. In fact, there's not so much necessarily about protection and more on response. Um, but uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, I think it is, you know, it, it, you know, it, yeah. As I said, I think if you're looking at this in a systematic way, then then reading it cover to cover is probably a good thing because it, it gives you it gives you a framework to kind of walk through. Exactly, and then you can dig down to go to the crisis section. Oh, that's a good idea. Let me try doing that type of thing. Yeah, exactly. And the reason why I've put uh, put, put incidents in the middle there actually is is kind of one of the things that. You know, I've seen over many years working in kind of PR and reputation and, and latterly kind of online and social media is 
Um, and this tends to be not thought about so much um, by uh, kind of reputation managers uh, in organizations is you tend to think, well, you know, you tend to, on the one hand, you have these kind of issues and issues tend to be kind of long term things that kind of go on for, you know, they, they, they kind of start slowly and they build up and it can be, you know, disputes about compensation or environmental issues or supply chains or whatever it is. And these kind of things build up and they, you know, there are various entities that may be involved one way or the other. You know, there could be external stakeholders, government, regulators, uh, journalists, you name it, all these types of different types of people. And then on the other hand, you've got crises. These, these things kind of explode. Um, and these are, you know, bona fide um, uh Massive problems that you know are going to involve senior leadership, CEO, um, as you handle this kind of stuff. And we're thinking here, you know, kind of BP Mexico oil spill, or you know, the plane crash, or or whatever it might be. But what's been overlooked, I think, is is, and I think this has been fueled to a certain extent by by the whole kind of internet and social media thing. Is 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 this growth of of sort of short term, very sudden incidents that kind of spiral up. Um, you know, almost immediately, and uh, the shit hits the fan, uh, or maybe it doesn't. It kind of dies away, and these are kind of difficult because they involve judgment calls. Um, and uh, so, w- kind of what one of the things we're trying to do in the book is to is to focus a bit more on incidents because if you can contain these things properly, then they don't become crises. Yeah, or or or, or uh, an endemic problem that. Um, gets rooted and just comes back and it becomes a cancerous growth and then you're you're totally screwed unless you throw huge resources at it. Do you think that um, because it, like you said, it's almost like an instantaneous reaction you get from people like one person complains and then 50 people complain and suddenly it's a million people going off uh, about it. Are organizations prepared? Do they have a war room? Do they have some sort of social media strategy for when they start to see this, the beginning of that type of spiky pattern to totally abandon what they do regularly and hit the big red uh, button and go, say, okay, uh, we're, we're emergency mode here and tremendous amount of resources and, and people are pulled from their desks and they're just concentrating on it? Or is that a waste of um, resources? Well, again, I think you know the resources and the systems you put in place are, are going to depend on on your organization, the culture in which it's operating, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, s- smart organizations out there who you know are doing a lot of business online, you know, who understand that there is a lot being said about them one way or the other, directly or indirectly online, um, they're doing a lot of listening. Uh, they're watching out for potential, you know. Potential or actual spikes, um, um, and uh, and going from there. So I think um, so. You know, yes, you're seeing war rooms. You're seeing really quite sophisticated um, decision making systems internally, where kind of emails. You know, re- immediately you're seeing a conversation hit a certain threshold. You know, it can be a million tweets or you know whatever it is. You know, emails immediately go out to the relevant people given the the uh, top, you know, whatever's being discussed, and bang, you you're you're into, you know, okay, what do we do? Um, and I think you know this is this is now this is something that uh, you see at a lot of big organisations, and uh, certainly governments are you know are 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 doing this a lot. 
Uh, I think that you know it's more difficult in a way for small for small small businesses um, because they just don't have the resources, and there tends to be less of a, an emphasis on 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 kind of internal decision making. And there, you're trying to have to do things quickly and necessarily without you know some of the uh, amazing data that you can now get by listening to to the internet and to social media. Um, and uh, so that, that you know that that that's a problem. Um, and I, I, you know there's no easy solution to this uh, because um, you know if you want to go out and you want to work, you want to you know get a license to, to for a really good uh, online listening system. Well, that costs money, you know, and uh, and sometimes it costs quite a lot of money. Um, so you know it's <laughs> so. You know, one of the things I try and encourage all organizations to do, not just um, uh, small businesses, but actually large businesses as well, is to share that cost. You know, don't think of it just as a kind of PR or marketing thing, but something that can be used also by HR, by corporate affairs, by, you know, all the different different parts of the business, and you share that cost out. Um, and, and as a result, you make that data, you know, very core to the way you're actually running your business. Do you think that uh, not enough time is being spent on uh, anticipation of a crisis, where you say, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do this new campaign. Here's the person uh, that's gonna be representing it. Here's the product. This is what it's gonna look at," and and that's shown to the head of marketing and maybe the CEO, and those are the only two people that actually see the ad, and then suddenly it's put out, and the squiggle or the background has some horrendous cultural uh, problem, and there's probably fifty or sixty people in the organization that would have pointed that out to them because they're trying to keep the in in quote secret uh, and announcement for a new product. Do you think that uh, that's uh, something that, that organizations don't understand? I, I think you're right. I think some. I think it's, it's something that some organizations don't understand. Or maybe that they understand it, but they just don't really do very much about it. It's not really taken very seriously. Um, now, I mean, you know, at one level, um, if you look at, you know, real sort of mega corporations, um, and I'm thinking of, say, something like HSBC, um, you know, I know for, for, for a fact, for instance, that they are now taking a much broader view of risk management. Um, and uh, so they, you know, they have regular meetings where their head, their global head of marketing sits in on the risk management meetings and they are looking at, you know, what they've got coming up in terms of marketing and trying to work out what the potential risks, or, you know, reputational risks and other risks associated with marketing campaigns are, for instance. So, so you know, it, it kind of pays to look at this stuff holistically um, and I think part of the trouble in you know in, in big organisations is um, that uh, you know the 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 nature of risk that they've been looking at has tended to be kind of focused on operational risks or financial risks particularly, uh, but not so much on reputational risks. Um, and it's now it's reputational risks that have been really fueled by the internet uh, because of course people are. Um, talking about stuff, you know, possibly negatively or very negatively, um, and then their their behaviour changes, um, and so the reputational risk um, then sort of turns into uh, other types of risk, which can be, you know, you lose sales or, or, or whatever. Um, so, so you've got to be very careful in this environment, and you do need to take a fairly broad approach. Do you think that? Um... 
things like fake news and um, hostile journalism and uh, armchair journalists and, and bloggers have kind of changed the whole landscape compared to 20 or 30 years ago where um, big news agencies are, are grabbing information that's actually not real they don't have time to check it or they don't bother to fact check and basically as an organization you you get screwed because somebody's basically put some bs out and and everybody thinks it's real and then you're spending a tremendous uh, amount of resources trying to like undo that non-truth which ironically is very hard to undo like people if you come back and say, no, no, I'm sorry, this isn't true. Our emissions aren't like that. Um, here's the facts. And they say, oh, they're doctored or you paid that person to say it. It's very hard to actually um, influence people once um, a bad story's come out because it's human nature. Everybody loves to jump on the bad guy. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, and it's a, it's a it's a massive problem. And I guess we've just seen it, you know, in the U.S. election to a certain extent, where there's a huge amount of rumor and conjecture and false stuff flying around, uh, and it's very very difficult to deal with. Uh, yeah, and I think it's compounded by the problem that, you know, a lot of the news and commentary and other stuff that we now, you know, general information that we now consume, it's consumed not. You know, on Reuters or on the New York Times or the uh, you know the Globe and Mail or whatever it might be, it's consumed on Facebook, um, and you know on Facebook or some of these other social media platforms. What we tend to do is we you know we live in our own little communities and we kind of block out stuff that we don't want to hear, and we believe everything that we do want to hear. Um, so this stuff becomes self-reinforcing. Um, and uh, and this is very very difficult for for you know for for, for companies to to handle frankly uh, because you know you've got to you've, you know it really puts an onus on on you to try and get the facts out there and you you know it's one thing getting the facts out there or getting the facts it's another thing actually persuading people getting it in front of them cutting through the clutter so to speak so that they actually see this stuff and then believe it. Um, and, uh, you know, so that requires, you know, creativity, it qu requires surprise, it, you know, requires, you know, real persuasion. Um, and, um, you know, uh, coming back to where we, we were before, I guess, you know, are we, are many companies really well equipped to do that? And I think the answer is no, in many cases not. Hmm. It, well, it, it's, it's, it goes back to the classic bell curve, you know, the 80-20 rule. You've got 10% uh, of the population is going to always be crazy. You've got the other 10% that um, believes in you. And then there's 80% of the population that uh, you've got to persuade, persuade off the fence, either one way or the other. And I think a lot of times um, the crises are started by the 10% and they do, do such a good job at it that it starts to influence the 80%. And people, you know, you, you run into to meetings and they'll they'll start quoting the 10% of the people that always believe in them. Like, well, dude, you're preaching to the choir. They don't count. And all the nutters over here that think this, this product's killing people, they count, but they don't count that much. You've got this 80% of the population that's working hard, too busy, trying to live their life, being bombarded with probably 500,000 messages a day and their brain is tuning stuff out 
Do you think organizations should have, like you're saying, not only a holistic approach, but an ongoing campaign? It's not like, oh, let's just put out a happy ad every six months or because we're, we've got Christmas coming along, let's put out some positive information about our company. Shouldn't that just be an ongoing series of um, informational, entertainment-based communication pieces um, indefinitely? Yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, definitely, I, I think, um, uh, I think you're right. I think, you know, thinking of things almost like a kind of political campaign doesn't help, uh, or, you know, wouldn't be, is a good idea. So, um, it, you know, so it's, it's about thinking long term how you can persuade people of, of uh, you know, of the, in this case, we're thinking more sort of defensively, um, but uh, you know, persuading people that, that what you're doing is is, is right and uh, and appropriate. Um, so I think I think yes, there's there's a, there's a very good point there, um, and uh, and kind of you know, so it's 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 kind of like attritional in a way. You've got to you've got to just be there, and you've got to be constantly making the case. Um, and then thinking through, you know, okay, we've got something coming up and how can we use this to really cut through? So, you know, again, it requires, you know, creativity and, uh, and energy and, uh, and, and smart thinking and a good understanding of the audiences and so on. I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that. One of the things, too, is because or if you're a smart organization and you're listening more, you probably have a pretty good idea uh, of, of the undercurrent of the 80%. And um, regardless if that 80% is always on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, I mean, <clears throat> you, you can't just rely on Facebook and you can't just rely on, on Twitter. You've got to rely on all of them, plus you have to go to the traditional ways of looking at stuff and um, you have to be interviewing people and reaching out. So... Let's say your organization is doing all those things, and they have a pretty good idea that um, in the background there's this bubbling crisis. Uh, okay, here's an amazing example that's been going on in North America, um, vaccines. Now, there's a bunch of people that think vaccines cause autism and, and basically kill you, uh, and uh, there's a bunch of other people that don't even think about it and just go get the vaccine. But it's been discussed generally and brought up through memes on social media enough that you're kind of you get reminded of it almost every day and the the reminders the everyday reminders are the negative stuff and nobody's really countering that so after a while your opinion starts to shift a little to the left a little bit more to the left or a little bit to the right a little bit more to the right and there's a tipping point where you said oh you know what i feel I don't think I feel comfortable with that product anymore. That is the time it's too late to be doing um, a crisis management thing. Now, I know the book's about how to deal with a crisis, but shouldn't an organization, and this is kind of the similar question what we, we tackled just a second ago, but shouldn't an organization be more conscious of it and be ready for a crisis, but try to diffuse the crisis before it even gets close to crisis point? Absolutely. I mean, and I don't really tackle that in the book, but I mean, this is, I mean, that is what I would think of as, you know, as issues management. So, you you know, take vaccines, for instance, it's not, it's not a topic I'm familiar with, I'm afraid, but, but, you know, um, you're aware that it's an issue. You're aware that, um, you know, certain people think about it one way or the other, you know, that you've got various different types of stakeholders who are impacted one another. And it just, it, it, what that is about is, is understanding the uh, the requirements uh, uh, and the needs of the various different stakeholders 
you know, who are out there who are affected one way or the other by this and trying to come to some kind of uh, appropriate solution. And that, that takes time. Um, uh, but, you know, it requires a proactive approach to engaging with these different audiences. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think uh, a lot of that is offline. It's speaking to people. It's, meet it's meeting with people. It's sitting around a table. It's listening. It's, you know, it's all of that. Uh, and then the kind of online side is 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 great for the for a kind of... Uh, 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 for additional deeper listening because you can listen to more people um, and understanding the kind of nuances of those conversations. But the t re and and obviously you know you respond through the different appropriate channels. Um, you know, be it face to face or online or, or whatever it is, it's kind of horses for courses. But I think in all of this, it's about um, you know, uh, online is part of a broader um, uh, set of tools that you have to deal with these issues. And you just got to try and work out where it fits best within that. Um, and, uh, but, you know, if you're really trying to have a nuanced, deep conversation about a topic like vaccines, say, you know, there's only so much, frankly, you can do online. Uh, the the re it, uh, my my guess, and I said I don't I don't know that issue so well, but my guess is with that issue, that actually the real the meaty stuff will be offline. You know where you are meeting with the representatives of the I don't know autism society or whatever it might be, and the pharma pharmaceutical companies and this that and the other, and you're really trying to establish the kind of parameters of these of, of the debate. Hmm. Interesting. Now, you know, when you were putting this book together and, and, and basically corralling all your, uh, your knowledge and, and your experience, for you, what was your aha moment where, where something that you knew was kind of true uh, really rang true and, and you, you had this, wow, now I totally get that? Um, yeah, I, it, there were a few actually. And, I, you know, it, go, it goes back to, I guess, in a way, uh, you know, I said I'm a PR communications guy predominantly. Um, but I wanted to come at this book from a slightly broader perspective than that, uh, just because I could see that the issues impacted were broader than just being being about communications. Or reputation is not just about communications, it's about all sorts of other things. So one of the things I did was I went out and I talked to all sorts of different types of people. Um, uh, you know, I talked to environmental activists, for instance. I also talked to digital investigators and I talked to lawyers, you know, media and privacy lawyers. Um, and, uh, and there was some really interesting stuff that came out of that, um, uh, which uh, kind of added to my understanding of this, of this area. Um, I mean, you know... I. I think this is pretty well known, but um, uh, you know, Greenpeace, for instance, take an incredibly sophisticated approach to uh, to, to campaigning and, on, and particularly online campaigning. Um, but actually, I managed to talk to them and interview them for this book, and they they said they, you know they told me some really interesting stuff. Um, uh, you know, some of the techniques they are using to to kind of target organizations to raise visibility or awareness about an issue. Um, uh, you know, some uh, some they deliberately, for instance, try and provoke organizations into overreacting to something because that will provide an additional news cycle. Um, and that's that was really fascinating. 
um, I talked to this guy in uh, in Tampa, Florida, who is a ex FBI agent who um, uh, was basically dealing with a, an enormous volume of kind of malicious online attacks. Uh, he was telling me he he uh, he he gets over four thousand of these a year coming through his his doors. Um, often um, uh, these are you know coming via law firms. Uh, but that was very interesting and kind of learning from him about some of the kind of the nature of these attacks and who's doing them. You know, principally they come from really three areas. He told me one is is kind of competitors who are looking to you know damage. Um, uh, your organization, um, also uh, aggrieved employees, you know, former employees who've got an axe to grind of some description or another. And the, and the third one was interesting, which is kind of like lovers or former lovers who are targeting, you know, high profile individuals uh, and trying to cause some trouble. You know, so that, that was really fascinating and kind of how they go about that. And it's and one of the things that was very interesting to me in terms of the nature of how they go about this is is the fact that actually not a lot of it is on social media. Um, most of this, because because of the real name system we, we were talking about earlier, a lot of this stuff is done using sites like Ripoff Report or some of these other things where you do, or Yelp even where you don't actually have to use your name. So that that was that was very interesting, um, and. Um, I guess one of the other things that came through was uh, quite strikingly was um, uh, talking to a couple of kind of high-profile lawyers in London. I, I think my main learning was that the legal system, um, or, or shall we say, some of the some of the kind of um, uh, the lawyers uh, out there who are skilled in kind of privacy issues and some of these other things, um, are have a very set approach to this and I think actually are better equipped to handle these things than some some other people they you know they've really put time and energy into working out what to do in certain other situations right so I think there is a tendency amongst kind of marketing and PR people to kind of oh we'll deal with it as it comes um, and not take such a systematic approach and that was kind of interesting I felt that some of these lawyers were quite f significantly further ahead than um, than uh, you know one might imagine as as a PR guy. Hmm. Well, that, that's actually that's that's an amazing piece of stuff because I've got a note here: tactical versus strategical. And really, what you're talking about is most people looked at crisis as a tactical situation. What can we do now instead of a strategical? Where can we find resources that? have the influence and the knowledge and the skill sets to call upon if we come into a, into a crisis, um, then we go tactical, but it's a strategic tactical move. It's not just like a, a knee-jerk reaction, which is not going to help anybody. Exactly. And, you know, so you, ha so you have to be prepared. You've got to think through in advance what the different scenarios are. Um, and, you know, usually... Actually, if you look at – I'm talking about crises here specifically. If you look at where most big crises come, they don't come because of external issues. They come because of mismanagement um, one way or the other. Uh, you know, it can be fraud, corruption, you name it. Um, so, so actually this is stuff that usually you know about. It's just that you are not moving fast enough or aggressively enough to, to, to mitigate it. Hmm. Do you think that um, 
the concept of a, a of a slow news week is still relevant. You know, you mentioned Greenpeace. Uh, there's been so much crazy stuff happening in North America the last uh, year that Greenpeace hasn't really come across my table, even though I know a lot of people that are very dedicated to Greenpeace. And uh, you can still get a, a relatively important story, uh, not squashed, but buried because there's everybody's talking about something else and they become blind to all the other situations. Is that all part of um, how you should be looking at the uh, at your, your crisis, at like what's happening now politically, what's happening now crisis-wise? Is this going to blow up uh, further than, than we think or should we just be quiet about it? Because you kind of talked about that earlier, but on a, on a, a strategical way or a tactical way, um, should you be looking at what's happening news cycle-wise and whether that is the way to approach it? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think probably tactically that's you know is, is probably the the because uh, you because you I think what you're what what you're saying here is is that you know when a crisis happens, what do you do? And if there's a slow news cycle at the time, you know, does that impact how you respond? And the answer is yes, it may well do. Um, uh, so, but I think that's part of the kind of tactical response, um, and that's stuff that you can't necessarily prepare for because you know news cycles go up and down. Um, but, but that, you know, that said, um, um, you know, having some thought processes about, okay, now, you know, if this thing is going to happen, then what can we reasonably expect? Um, and thinking that through it, it, it is helpful, you know, it, but in a crisis, in a real crisis context, I mean, you know, whilst the overarching news cycle, the actual general news, uh, news flow may be fairly slow, uh, or quiet that day, you know, it, the problem is that for you, it's going to be like chaos. <laughs> um, so, you know, so you're going to have to handle that. Um, and that's, you know, thinking carefully through, you know, you, you know, cause the crisis is going to hit different, um, stakeholders in different ways. You know, you're going to be thinking about government, you're going to be thinking about local communities, you're going to be thinking about your own your own employees and so on. And you've got to think very carefully through, you know, what you're going to say and to who and how you're going to say those things. Do you think that uh, not enough uh, energy and, and, and um, resources are put together post- crisis where they're saying well look we had this crisis we got lucky because it was it was a high news week but this is a warning sign that we should be doing some preemptive uh, patchwork to try and and uh, shore up or or fix our reputation absolutely um, but I mean I I think at that point you don't want to focus necessarily so much on your reputation I mean you do but the, you know the most important thing you want to do is sort the problem out whatever the problem is that's caused the crisis in the first place you know, that, so, you know, your first step, um, you know, most people would argue when you get into kind of recovery, uh, and it can be a difficult call between, you know, when you're in the middle of a crisis and when you're kind of getting out of the crisis and things are beginning to calm down a bit. But nonetheless, you know, what you, re what you want to focus on is, is immediately analyzing, you know, what, um, what went wrong here uh, and what do we need to do to make sure it doesn't happen again, getting in place that solution, uh, and then thinking about the reputational aspects. And I think one of the uh, problems that you tend to see is companies thinking, oh, you know, now we, you know, things have calmed down a bit, there's less media, people online are talking less about this. 
So let's now kind of use this as a way of kind of not really, you know, we, we can now get the business back to, you know, back running as normal and we don't really have to do anything. And that's the big error. So I think your 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 point is absolutely right. There tends not to be a, 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 enough of a focus on recovery um, in a crisis context, or even indeed in a, a kind of incident cro- uh, context. I mean, if you think through things like data breaches, you know, all these hacking um, scenarios that are going on. Um, you know what you're doing in the immediate. You know when 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 you discover a, a breach has happened, is you're obviously responding to it through through kind of PR communications, uh, and you're trying to fix whatever hole it is in your IT security system that's that's <laughs> been breached or where there's been a leak or whatever it is. Um, but again, you've got to kind of focus on okay, well, you know, how do we stop? How do we fix this hole? You know, this is absolutely critical. And how do we persuade? our audiences out there that what we're doing is in their best interests um, and that we're not going to have any kind of further additional breaches of, you know, abuse of their of privacy by hackers in Middle East or, or you know, Eastern Europe or wherever it is. Um, uh, so, you know, and, and maybe you need to, you know, come up with an education campaign around, um, you know, this is what you can do to help yourselves and help us make our system safer. Uh, and all of this is really, really important. And uh, it, it, but I think it reinforces your point again that that uh, you know there tends to be so much of a focus on the kind of immediate response to a big problem, and not enough on okay, how do we, you know, move this on, but in a way which is really truly going to fix the problem first of all, and you know, and 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 fix our reputation. Uh, or even, you know, potentially, and potentially, of course, and, you know, there's, the, 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 there's a Chinese saying that uh, crisis is opportunity. You know, you can, you know, maybe you use the crisis as a way of really getting to grips with some fundamental problem in your organization. You know, maybe it's around your values or your culture or, you know, way things are done. Um, and that can take, you know, that requires real leadership um, from the top of the organization. You know, we're talking about topics of organization. Um, who should be in charge of, um, you know, online reputation? I mean, right at the very top. Is it the CEO? Is is it, it the uh, VP of communications, uh, the COO, or is it a combination? Well, it, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it, that, that's a very good and, and challenging question. And <laughs> I think that you know, there are lots of different ways of coming at this. I mean, Maybe to take take a step back and just not focus quite so much on the online dimension at the moment. I mean, who owns the reputation of an organization? It's the, it's it's really the CEO, isn't it? But but you wouldn't expect the CEO to be the kind of um, the owner of you know how you manage your Facebook pages or you deal with incidents online. Um, so um, you know, on a day to day, on a more kind of day to day level. Um, that tends to end up with you know, PR communications, or it can be marketing, uh, or it can be the you know the digital stroke social media uh, team. Um, but you know what you've got to try and make sure is, and we could kind of go back to the to the uh, decision making system here, is uh, that uh, the people at the top are closely in the loop and they understand what's going on, and that the, you know the right decisions are made by the right people at the right level. 
So, I mean, for instance, uh, you know, one of the things that you are seeing quite a lot of bigger organizations doing is is having somebody at a, at a board level who is responsible for risk. And included within that risk is sort of digital and social media risk. Um, and also you want them increasingly to be looking at reputational risk, right? So that, so this stuff is, is, is the, and the right stuff is getting up to board level. Um, and, uh, and obviously below that you've got, you know, various different permutations because, you know, lots organizations are all structured differently. So there is no one, um, uh, sort of template for this. Uh, but you just want to make sure that um, that the right people get the right information at the right time. We've been talking with Charlie about managing online reputation, how to protect your company on social media. Definitely check it out. Uh, fascinating discussion. And, you know, biggest uh, lesson, I think, uh, in, in this discussion was, you know, listen before you react. Charlie, thanks for coming on the show. A great pleasure, Bob. Thanks for listening. Please share this interview if you think your network of business friends would benefit from it. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite Android app. Also, don't forget to check out www.businessbooktalk.com for more business book interviews.